Welcome back to the Illinois Agronomy Update. I'm your host, Troy Kazire with Hertz Farm Management here in Geneseo, Illinois. And uh, today we've got uh, a great guest with us, uh, Lauren Lurkins, who is the Director of Environmental Policy for the Illinois Farm Bureau. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, appreciate you taking the time. Um, so, so Lauren, uh, first off, let's... Uh, uh, let's take a couple minutes here to learn a little bit more about you. If you would tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what your role entails there at the Farm Bureau. Absolutely. So um, I, I have the role of the Director of Environmental Policy here at Illinois Farm Bureau. So I am actually based in Bloomington. Um, but in that job, I get to help our entire organization and all of our county farm bureaus on a variety of environmental issues. They present themselves at either the federal or the state and sometimes even the local, you know, county level. Um, I have been here at Farm Bureau in this position for almost nine years. Um, and I come from a background in environmental law. So I actually spent about eight years at a environmental law firm in our state capital, where I spent that time uh, working on behalf of a variety of clients, um, either as they were trying to comply with environmental law or um, in, the, in the situation where they found themselves defending themselves against federal and state agencies on environmental cases. So that's my background. I did not grow up on a farm, um, but I always wanted to do environmental law and policy. Um, and so I'm, I feel pretty privileged to work for Illinois Farm Bureau doing that. Just exactly that. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, it's that background and and expertise that that we wanted to to kind of tap into today. So um, obviously, you you deal with a, a wide range of subjects. When we you know that would in, include livestock um, mm -hmm. waste management and things like that. But uh, what we really wanted to focus in on today was to talk a little bit more about the the carbon markets and some of the conservation programs um, that, uh, uh, that, that exist, uh, both, both at the government, uh, within the government and, and kind of out there in, in private industry. Um, and obviously with all the talk of climate change and, and, um, the, the issue of carbon emissions, uh, that, that has really kind of, uh, those discussions have, have really ramped up over the last several years. And we've seen the emergence of some of these carbon market programs and things like that. So we wanted to talk a little bit, uh, about that today. Um, so you've, you've kind of, you've been going around and, and giving a, a presentation on that very subject. So, um, why don't you kind of give us, can you give us a little bit of a background on, on kind of how, you know, kind of the, the why and how this came to be? Yeah. And, and I think we're, I would, I would say, but as we get started here, we're, we're firmly in the development phase of this topic too. So there's still, in my view, are far more questions than, than there are answers, but I, I will say that. You know, when I think about this issue generally, um, I actually think back, you know, again, I've been in this position for nine years and um, I missed the cap and trade days. You know, that was before my time at Farm Bureau. But um, so then when we started looking toward the presidential uh, um, campaign and then election, we kept hearing more about, you know, climate change was going to be obviously a large part of a campaign. And then if, if Biden were to take um, office, then we knew that it would be a pillar of his his administration. Um, but that entire time, uh, we actually saw a little bit different of a spin um, at, with regard to agriculture. And and I think in that way, we think it's very positive that ag this time around in 
climate change discussions are, you know, ag is really being positioned as a solution. And that is very different, you know, not sort of that regulatory approach to how can we limit, reduce, eliminate emissions from the farm gate, but really thinking about how to position ag and working lands as a solution for um, global climate change issues. The other thing that has been different this whole time is a focus on working lands. So we're not talking about taking land out of production, just you know, not doing corn, soybeans, but planting trees. It's really a, a awareness that we do have the kind of agriculture that we've had that we have in the, you know, really across the country, and really trying to work within that system to see it as a solution instead of trying to force a major, major change upon it. Um, and then the big, big issue is that this time the conversations have been around voluntary and how if farmers and ranchers want to participate in something like this, it's voluntary. So you're not talking about a regulatory approach again. Um, so we know that that conversation all really happened through the campaign. And then once Biden took office, you know, we we have really seen um, major and they call it whole of government approaches where every single federal agency has its own carbon climate change adaptation plan. Um, and then some global commitments made, obviously rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, and then also more recently making um, continued um, an, uh, agreements at, on the global stage with regard to, to climate change. So we know that it's an issue um, that the president and his administration are focused on, and we particularly see a lot of that work coming out of USDA, and I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I will say in addition to the federal side, though, and the, and the government action, you know, no matter who is going to end up in the White House, we felt um, at Illinois Farm Bureau and, and frankly, American Farm Bureau, that the corporate America sort of world was still moving forward. And they actually are looking for what they call nature based solutions to carbon sequestration. Um, and they're looking they're looking at ag lands or timber lands to be able to offset their cost, either because of pressures from activist investors or um, shareholders or just the consumer in general. And so we know that that, that annual market um, in soil carbon is, is huge. And a couple months ago, we heard a figure of about $200 billion annual market for soil carbon alone. And I don't know if that's still the number, um, but I've heard some people say it's far greater than that. And so so I think those two things at play, both the government involvement for the moment, um, you know, I guess things could change with the next election, but right now we're we're seeing that move forward um, really in parallel to those corporate America goals. So when we, you know, we, we talk about corporate America being involved there. And, and so for some of our listeners, you know, I know there's a there's kind of a wide range of of uh, understanding on, on this topic. And, and we get a lot of questions here. At, it hurts about carbon markets. Um, so, we, you know, you start talking about corporate America and, and and them being heavily involved in this. How kind of if you could explain the connection there, how does that how does that. Uh, uh, w w what corporations are doing, uh, how does that connect to with, you know, what farmers are doing uh, out in the field and, and, and how, how does that come together in terms of a carbon market? Right. Well, I, I actually personally feel like maybe that's the connection that is still yet to be matured a little bit, but conceptually, um, you know, if, if corporate America, like whether you're a Microsoft or, or an ag and food company that has has closer ties to to agriculture, 
you know, they want to prove to various people that they, that their footprint, you know, their carbon footprint is what it is. And then it's shrinking, you know, that they are doing um, more uh, with less essentially. And some companies, you know, when you're a, when you're a ag company, that's pretty easy, you know, like uh, you're, you're growing your seed corn or you're, you know, so you have an actual footprint and you can document that with other companies, you know, other, uh, basically the, the consumer packaged good kind of companies, where true consumers are saying, you know, we really want my can of Pringles to have a carbon neutral, carbon friendly label. I want to know how this was grown. Um, you know, that that's going to be maybe a little bit different. And maybe it's not at this moment today, <clears throat> maybe it's not a carbon market in a true sense. Maybe it's more some understanding for a way of sustainability to grow into something a little bit more robust. But But I think, you know, the concept is that that corporate America, you know, a company could look outside of their fence line, outside of their own immediate footprint and still be able to help help in this world, in this way, these like global commitments on climate change and also probably benefit their own operation. Those the way we're going to do that as a society, though, has not quite been defined and and made like consistent across across everything. Those are all in development. They call them scope three protocols, I think, where you start to really look at the entire supply chain of a given company. But there is interest and there have been companies of various sizes working together um, in sort of that pre-competitive space for a long time to be able to figure out where to go. So I think there's probably still more room to go. There's probably some regulation or something that would exist um, with regard to the companies, but there is this interest in, in folks, you know, kind of competing with themselves in that corporate space to, to get at the, the land, get at that farmer and have that relationship now and watch it mature over the next five, 10 years, if this are, is going to be a thing. Yeah. And so, so if I were to, and I'm probably oversimplifying here and, and let me know if I am, but <laughs> I, I think the kind of the general concept or the basic concept is you have a corporation that's uh, or, or a company of any kind that that is producing a certain amount of carbon and, and releasing it into the uh, into the atmosphere. And, and, you know, just just to just to make things easy, let's right. say you have a company that's emitting 100 tons of carbon into the air every year. Um, and and, you know, we have farmers that are doing things like no till planting cover crops, things like that, that actually have the potential to take carbon out of the air and sequester it in the soil. And, and if, a, if a company can sort of incentivize uh, a, a certain number of farmers to sequester a certain number of tons of, of carbon into the, into the soil, they can then uh, claim that their, their net uh, carbon emission is lower. So in other words, if they're emitting 100 tons, and they incentivize farmers to, to for, for 40 tons of carbon sequestration, mm -hmm. their net release is now 60 tons, right? And, right. and, and the way that those connections and that brokerage and that ex, those exchanges are made vary widely from company mm -hmm. to company right now. And that's, that's kind of what's still in that development phase. Is that, is that kind of a fair explanation? Yes. And you did a much better job explaining it than I did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, not at all. But I, you know, it is, it is a little bit kind of, because that's, that's one of the questions that I, or, you know, one of the concepts that I think is difficult for people to understand is like, well, what is that? What does, you know, the, the carbon that Coca-Cola is emitting, what does that have to do with 
you know, farmers and, and growing corn and soybeans and, and, and how are those connected? Uh, yeah. and, and so it's a, it, it's, you know, it's kind of a mathematical game. Um, uh, and, and like you said, it's still really in, in the early stages of development as to how that's, uh, how, how those programs are, are really going to come together. And, and again, I think there's a, a wide variety of ways that that's happening right now. Right, exactly. And, and the companies are all different, right? You know, some actually do you use the example of corn, you know, corn making its way ultimately into a food or beverage product. That's one thing that truly that, you know, a company could trace it back in theory to a region, to an elevator, to somewhere. Um, there's others that, you know, if you're just, say you're Microsoft and you want to offset your carbon footprint from all of your data centers, that might be a little more abstract or, I mean, I, I, I think it can vary largely based on the, the ultimate company that you're talking about at the end, but yes, you're right. It, it, and I, I think that that idea of um, nature-based like ag kind of solutions or even timber ground being used to offset a company's footprint, that can also be um, a philosophical challenge for some people, you know, and, and that would include some of the folks that I represent at the Illinois Farm Bureau who say, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, what, what, why are they doing that? Or, you know, how does that work? I think um, there's also some, I read, you know, things from some of our environmental groups in our country. And I would say they also are, are ready to call a flag on the play and say, well, that's not, that's not enough. You know, you're that philosophically they are, they are challenged by that too. But right now, you know, we, we support the concept in our policy at Farm Bureau of a market-based kind of trade uh, in this space. And so we're, we're willing to try to figure out what that looks like, but it's probably not as clear to people, including me um, as we sit here today, but the theory is something that we support. So is, is there some in, is there an anticipation that at some point the federal government is going to get involved and come out with um, uh, sort of a set of guidelines or, or regulations around how this can, can happen? I'm, I'm, I'm really not familiar with how well it's being regulated right now or, or if it is even being regulated at all. Right. That's a great question. That actually takes us probably, you know, I, I work inside governmental affairs. So that's really the bulk of where I spend my time is trying to track that. And, and particularly back to what we started with on the Biden administration and it trickling down to all of his his agencies. That includes a significant amount of work at the at USDA at the moment. Even earlier this week, there were additional um, House Ag Committee meetings on this topic and then also the secretary of USDA, Tom Vilsack, uh, participated in some events. And what what's happening right now as we sit here at the beginning of February 2022 is that USDA is saying, you know, we believe we have the authority, whether or not Congress gives us additional authority in a Build Back Better, some climate package or an eventual farm bill. We think that we have the authority right now to move forward. And what they're saying is probably end of February, early March, they're going to roll out from USDA what they're calling um, carbon pilot programs. And Secretary Vilsack was speaking this earlier this week about that anticipated rollout and, and why, you know, and in his view, how, the way he stated it, he expects these to essentially be demonstration projects to lay groundwork for a more formal carbon program down the road. The stated goal of the pilots is to just simplify things for farmers 
um, right now when I think he is even acknowledging that the carbon credit programs are proliferating, but they're also very confusing. Um, and so I think USDA's approach is to take some time and, and frankly, probably a set of years to be able to gather data and refine the information and the, and the measurement tools. That way, everybody's on the same page with regard to different different, you know, parts of the country and commodities and, and all that. So, so there is still more room to go, but, um, you know, we in, in Illinois have been pushing cover crops, no-till for, you know, decades in the case of no-till and cover crops a solid decade. So, you know, one of the things is it has to be somebody who hasn't done any of these practices. And we can get into that, that, you know, if we're pushing it so far for lots of policy and environmental issues, we we will may have already kind of reached a mass threshold by the time some of these programs come to fruition. So that's just something uh, to think about too, and we can talk about that here in a second. But lots of money coming out of USDA, and, and more is kind of flagged to be coming out soon. Yeah, definitely, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. And that's uh, you know, again, I, I think it's one of those things that the uh, and and this isn't always a bad thing, but but. I, I think this whole uh, sort of industry, if you will, is is probably evolving faster than the uh, it's sort of outgrowing itself. I think right now there's there's still a lot of um, disagreement, I think, on even the science as to how much carbon we're actually sequestering and with some of these certain practices. And and of course, the you know, the financial aspect of it, the the you know, the regulation aspect of it, there's really a lot that that still needs to be hammered out. Uh, and it's, I don't know if the wild west is the right term, but we're, we're really in kind of an open frontier right now, aren't we? That is actually very accurate. And one of the things that was very eye-opening to me at one point in these conversations that we've been having with various players in this space over the last really two years, 18 months, someone said, you know, you know, you think it's the wild west, but but really, all of the discussion right now is is targeted on the generation of these credits, like how to get a farmer to sign on the dotted line and create a credit that someone can eventually buy. So we we haven't even figured out the whole infrastructure as a com- as a country. We have not figured out the entire infrastructure of how this entire credit you know trade would even happen. And and so I think that's important for f- farmers that I represent, landowners that are listening in. You know, just to remember that there's a lot to be figured out. And so I, I think that if it's going to be a thing, it's going to mature. There, that transparency is going to happen. You know, you mentioned science a minute ago. We, we partner a lot with our land-grant university on this topic. Um, and what, what those folks tell us is, you know, there's a lot of ongoing science across the, the country, and it's funded by our federal agencies. You know, it's like NASA and and the Department of Energy and obviously USDA, like I said, in those those climate and the pilots. But but really, it's like trying to figure out the realistic outcome. How quick can we really do in ag for carbon sequestration? What's the true cost of it? And looking at tech, you know, how can tech technology really help us get the verification of all of this kind of stuff done faster, better, cheaper? And we have a lot of room uh, to go still. Um, I've heard some 
some references that all of the costs caught up in some of these early, what I would call really pilot programs from a lot of the companies that are out there today. It's about 70% of the cost of that program tied up in the the, the measurement verification. Um, and so that, if you, you can only think about that, if you can streamline that a bit, then more money, um, you know, in my perfect world, more money would go to the farm gate, right? To the farmer, to the landowner, who's actually taking on the practice. Um, you, you, you know, we talked about a lot of these programs kind of proliferating. The other thing that's proliferating is are these third parties and the technology and the different products of everybody, you know, claiming that this is going to reduce everybody's carbon footprint. I think farmers are about to get inundated even more on all of those options. So I think it's it's definitely time for farmers and landowners to be, you know, buyer beware and some due diligence and make sure that eyes are wide open before they go into any of this stuff. Because it is as we can talk about here in a minute, a, a very long-term commitment. Yeah, and that's, so yeah, let's let's kind of segue into that. So, I mean, obviously on the face of it, it it's certainly an opportunity for uh, for farmers and for landowners to, to maybe make some additional income uh, if they can, you know, uh, negotiate one of these agreements and, and receive some incentive for, for carbon sequestration and, and on some of the practices they're doing. But, you know, as we know, there's, there's never any such thing as free money without strings attached. So, you know, what are some of those concerns? I mean, you, you mentioned, for example, uh, you know, current practices versus, versus new practices and how that affects your eligibility. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. as well as some of the other concerns that, that farmers and landowners have right now. Absolutely. And so I will say before we get into that, that overall, we see that this concept could be beneficial, just like you said, you know, in in theory, it could benefit a farmer and get more money at the farm gate in the time when they would need it. However, our phones started ringing off the hook throughout the last 18 months, two years of, hey, I see what Farm Bureau is doing. These are our members calling, but I have some concerns. And, you know, they the these are, I think, pretty consistent across the country, especially when we talk to American Farm Bureau. And so how I would look at this is these farmers are identifying some barriers that exist. And whether they use these terms or not, this is the terminology, the the verification. Hey, Lauren, you know, I, I have a problem with what I see here. You know, this contract says that somebody's going to come out to my farm. I don't know. They're not named who they are. I don't know how often they're going to come check and see what I did. And they're also going to take all my data and they're going to look at me with aerial imagery. You know, I have a problem with with how that's going to happen and the layers of verification. I think, you know what, some of this actually comes back to the Chicago climate exchange days um, early on where people would get in trouble for having like a rut in their field. And and so those those things don't go away overnight, but that verification is a huge one. The additionality is a second barrier. And that's that concept of I've already been doing no-till, you know, I've already been planting cover crops because I started doing them for soil health or water quality or habitat benefits. And I can't find my way into these markets. So they're kind of locked out and really put at a disadvantage if they were ahead of the game taking on any of these practices. I think the third that's a challenge is permanence. A lot of these um, length of the commitment, whether it's the length of the contract, but the length of the commitment for ag and carbon at this point is 10 years. So for you to truly be able to sequester carbon, it's really a 10 year commitment. 
and, or you, or you're going to get less money, you know, that's, that's the reality, but to do it right, it's got to be a very long-term commitment. And we are talking about annual crops and rotations and changes that have to be, you know, sort of flexible for lots of reasons. So that's, that's the third one. The, the fourth barrier is control, you know, and, and we talked landowner, we talked who has control to lock the operation into an agreement for 10 years forward. And then, you know, Mother Nature, the whole thing of like, I don't know how how Mother Nature, you know, are my cover crops going to germinate? Are they going to really be that effective um, at sequestering carbon? Or am I just going to put some seed out there and Mother Nature messes with it and I don't get any of that stuff? You know, just that that lack of control. And then the other two barriers they kind of go together are this financial and the tech and they can be barriers that you don't have the money to pay up front to put a cover crop on the ground. You don't have the equipment, you know, you, you are challenged in how to grab your data and send it off to these companies. I think those are all things that kind of lock people out. Um, and, and then I think some of the, the issues that the folks have seen in the agreements that are out there, um, whether it's a contract or, or just the experience is like, the feel of how much data is being requested in exchange for the money and what is the company going to do with my data as far as the security and, you know, privacy issues to the degree that that even matters anymore if you're handing over your data, but at least wanting to know, you know, my data has some value and I'm going to pass it off. And I want to know that this company is going to a pay me for it and also use it and secure it in a way that I'm aware of and I am I'm okay with. Um, and so, but I, I think there's just some transparency issues overall with the modeling um, of the of the carbon and, and really valuing what the carbon is worth. And that that really that transparency kind of overlaps all of it on the contract side, the data, the the how is everything valued, and and really like how am I going to get paid at the end of the day? So. Those are the barriers. And I know it sounds a little overwhelming, like, well, that's pretty negative. <laughs> um, but I, I would say that they're not. We could get companies to really listen and work with farmers that that could be figured out. And frankly, the ones that are willing to do that, they're going to be the most successful at the end of all of this. Yeah. And, and I think at, at an even a even a very basic level and in a lot of cases right now, anyway, when you take a look at. Um, just simply the, for example, the cost of putting in an acre of cover crop. Um, a, a lot of these opportunities right now with these these carbon incentives, uh, they, they don't even cover the cost of these practices in right. a lot of cases. Isn't that, isn't that true? Yes. And some of them are, you know, pay for practice. So they're going to just try to offset, offset your, you know, cost in the beginning and pay you like $9 an acre, $10, $15 an acre for cover crops and no-till um, but, but others are more outcome-based, right? So you actually have to take on the practice and then really sequester your carbon. So, I mean, when I think about it, it's like, okay, I just want to know the, the, the chronology, right? And some of these outcome-based models or outcome-based arrangements, you as a farmer would sign on the dotted line and say, yes, I want to enter in this agreement with this company. And then I have to move forward and give my data to them so they know what I've done you know, for the last two, four years, whatever the data is, pass that over, then take on the practice. So let's use cover crops, for example. Then I, the farmer, decide to plant cover crops. Then I have to actually wait and see and run the model and, and then do some soil tests to verify it. And then maybe a year from then, 
I, I figure out what I actually sequestered. And then months from that point, I get paid. So that's, that's a long time to wait. And I think those are really important questions for somebody to ask uh, before they, and maybe even consult an attorney before you sign on the dotted line. Um, but that's a long time to wait for whatever the amount, unknown amount of money at the end of it all. Yeah, I, I, I was asked kind of an interesting question a while back. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know that we even know answers to questions like these yet. But the the the, the idea was thrown out that, OK, if, if, if I'm in a long term commitment like this and, and say no till is part of it. And, you know, a few years down the road, something that we have a tremendous amount of rainfall, flooding or washing out or something, I have to go out there and do some tillage, you know, to, to, to open that soil up again or, or, or level off something or, or whatever. Um, you know, what happens? Am I going to have to buy those credits back? Um, or, or, and, and am I going to have to buy them back now at an inflated price because they're worth mm-hmm. twice what they were four years ago? Or, you know, um, I, I think there's a lot of questions and concerns like that out there. Yeah. Those are the those are the exact right questions to ask. And th- that's obviously a farmer landowner question because that's the world that they live in. Right. Sure. And, and according to a contract, I mean, you do need to read the words on the contract that will be the thing that exists down the road. Um, you know, it's not the reassurances that you get, <laughs> you know, around that <laughs> yep. uh, sales pitch. It's the it's the what does did the word say? That's what people are going to fight about later. So. So I, I would be very cautious. And, you know, if there is language in there that you, you know, you have an out and if you, if you mess up, that's great. Everybody moves on happy. That's fine. But I, I, I know we all are smarter than that in 2022, where we know that nothing goes away like that in a a legal contract. So I am very worried about that. And I think if, if this is going to be a thing, you're right, the price of carbon will increase. And, you know, it, if it starts to, you know, you have a billion dollars of carbon pilots rolled out by USDA in early 2022, everybody's going to know more and this is just going to be more transparent. So I would be very cautious in entering into one of those things. And I, I would ask those exact questions and see what the answer is that you get from a particular company. And if you don't feel like it, if you think it sounds too good to be true, then, <laughs> you know, maybe that's your gut check. Yeah. So do you have, are there, are there any, um, and I know this is always hard when, when you can't, when you were just talking here and you can't look at a screen and and see, but um, are there any places that you would suggest any resources that that, uh, people can go to websites or, or uh, organizations in general that, that people can go to for more information around this? So I think that is a challenging thing only because there seems to be number one, new programs available every so often. And two, the, the programs that exist out. And so that seems to be like the hardest thing is to get that all in one nice little package and not leave anything out. Um, There are things that exist there. I, I would say that, you know, you could go to any company and look at their website and, call and ask questions. I mean, I just did that last week on this, another one out of California on timber uh, ground. And, you know, you get kind of sucked into a webinar and then someone will call you. It's, it's a thing every single time, but 
but I, I will say that might be the role that that's one of the envisioned roles of USDA under some legislation, the Growing Climate Solutions Act, which passed the Senate and is sort of languishing in the House. And I don't know that it will pass the House, um, but that is the concept of maybe USDA, frankly, playing the role as clearinghouse and website and you know sharing information. And so that that's just something to to think about, because you know, if it's just somebody like an Illinois Farm Bureau who tries to do it, if the federal government is the only one who can even keep track of all of the players or in, in, in concept should be the only one, that means there's a whole lot of action going on in good companies and bad companies and good approaches and bad approaches. But um, I would say it's it's really not that easy to pull it all together in one official um, update. Um, you and I know, I mean, we do have some things and I mean, I'm happy to always talk to somebody um, as they're trying to figure it all out. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that information. Is there anything else you wanted to kind of touch on here that we haven't, uh, that we haven't hit on yet? Just a reminder that, you know, I do work for Illinois Farm Bureau and we take our positions of support and oppose different concepts, either regulatory or legislative. And um, at the beginning of this year, um, actually tail end of 2021, we actually updated our policy. So our that means that the majority of farmers in the state of Illinois have a more detailed um, opinion on carbon market policy. And a lot of the concepts that we just ran through are things that our policy says that farmers want. And so that's where I'm, you know, I get to anecdotally talk to farmers all the time, but this is, this has the weight of majority of 74,000 of our, our members across the state. So that's a huge deal. That means that people have thought a lot about it. And um, that includes this transparency need, the cost to adopt the practices, the, you know, the, the price transparency. So that that's an important thing to think about. And I would just leave with probably the recommendations that we're kind of giving to folks as we sit here at the beginning of 2022, which is, you know, the, the role that the federal government is going to play in this is really that elephant in the room. And for a while there at the end of 2021, we were thinking we would be looking at $90 billion of conservation funding from the federal government under Build Back Better that has now dropped off. And so when you go from 90 billion extra to zero, you know, that's a big, that's a big difference and something that I would just encourage people to watch. And also that big idea of this entire carbon credit ecosystem is still in development. So don't feel like you have to be the first to hurry up and rush and be one to generate a credit. As that entire ecosystem is being developed, you're going to learn more. You're going to have probably some more technology as well to give you the the information on which to base your um, decisions. And so the very final thing is, I think that Illinois farmers and, and landowners actually have quite a bit of leverage when it comes to this. So I would just recommend that people watch, maybe ask some really good questions at this time. And if they feel like it's time to get into the carbon market, just make sure you do that by managing the risk in the best way that you possibly can. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this develops over the I next think so too. <laughs> It's a fun, it's a fun area. You know, I, some of these issues that we work on for environmental policy, like waters of the U S or something like that, you know, they never seem to go away and it's the same issue over and over again. And this one's at least a little bit more dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, again, uh, thank you for, for your time. I appreciate it. And we'll kind of keep an eye on some of these things. Uh, you mentioned waters of the U S and some of these other mm -hmm. environmental issues. If, uh, you know, we, we, 
we appreciate you spending time with us and, and maybe we can bring you back again, uh, you know, sometime in the future to, to continue the discussion or, or kind of talk about some of the other things going on in environmental policy. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Thank you for having me. Lauren Lorkins, Director of Environmental Policy, Illinois Farm Bureau. Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate you. your time. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time on the next episode of the Illinois Agronomy Update. Thank you.